Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 39. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. I think I have mentioned before the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip in which Calvin is expressing his love-hate relationship with Christmas. Those of you who have read Calvin and Hobbes and know nobody's education is complete without doing so, will know that Calvin regularly experiences pre-Christmas angst over the fact that given his desire to get presents, he needs to be good for goodness sake. And the whole Santa Claus thing has him all tied up in knots as it forces him to be kind and nice and obedient and generous and all that stuff that according to the Santa Claus myth you need to be if he is going to deliver the goods to your house on Christmas Eve. So in this particular strip, Calvin says, this whole Santa Claus thing just doesn't make any sense. Why all the secrecy? Why all the mystery? If the guy exists, why doesn't he ever show himself and prove it? And if he doesn't exist, then what's the meaning of all this? Then Hobbes is stuffed tiger replies, I don't know. 
But isn't this a religious holiday? Calvin says, yeah, but actually I've got the same questions about God. I, I, if Calvin were here, I'd be so delighted to be able to say to him, Calvin, God has not wrapped himself in secrecy. God has not hidden himself from view. God has indeed shown himself and proven his existence. As Christians, we declare in the creed, I, we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then we go on to say, I, we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Christ Jesus, God's Son, that is, the one who shares the very nature of God, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That means, Calvin, that means you who are here this afternoon, God has shown Himself. God has revealed Himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. This fourth message in our series in the Apostles' Creed, you can consider an early Christmas present. It's a message about what really happened the first Christmas night. It's a message about what we call in Christian theology the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. Incarnation in flesh. The infleshment of God. The embodiment of God. Hebrews 10, we read the words of the eternal Son of God spoken to the Father, perhaps just as He left heaven's glory to inhabit Mary's womb. He says, a body you have prepared for me. Or in the words already cited in a prophetic word this morning from Colossians, in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Folks, that is perhaps the most stunning statement ever made. In Jesus, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God, all that God is in His essence and being is in a body. Jesus of Nazareth is God in a body. This is the most radical of all the claims of the Christian faith. The miracles, amazing. Good Friday, amazing. Easter, amazing. But nothing so amazing, nothing so wondrous as Christmas. In Jesus of Nazareth, two natures, the nature of God and the nature of man, came together in one person, in one body. We believe in God's Son and our Lord that He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. 
Make no mistake about this, friends. This is not myth. It's not legend. It's not metaphor. It's history. In fact, if we look back at verses 1 and through 4, we, we read there that Luke very explicitly says that he, in this book, has, has carefully researched the things that happened in Jesus' life. He has carefully researched the facts. He has talked with eyewitnesses so that the things he records in this gospel are actual history. So when he gets here, he's not, he's not saying, okay, here's a myth for you to believe in or here's a, here's a legend for you to follow. He's saying, no, this actually happened. This actually happened. An angel came to the Virgin Mary, and the angel made an extraordinary announcement that she, virgin, would give birth to the Son of God and the Son of David, who would be the King forever. Let's look at this miracle. Let's look at this text. And, and I want to make sure that you understand going into our time here why this matters. Why does it matter that Jesus is God and man, that He is divine and human in one person, conceived in a virgin's womb and given birth by Mary? Why does it matter? Well, if you need a mediator between you and God, how many of you need a mediator between you and God? Yes. If you need a mediator between you and God, if you need a priest to sympathize with your humanity, how many of you need that kind of priest? If you need a king to vanquish all evil, how many of you need such a king? And if you need a future in which to hope, then you need the God-man. You need Jesus of Nazareth. You need Him. This one who is God and man, divine and human in one person. If you need a mediator between you and God, if you need a priest to sympathize with your humanity, if you need a king to vanquish all evil, and if you need a future in which to hope, you need the God-man. You need Jesus. Now let me lay the foundation for that from this text. Let me just show you the three ways in which the birth of Jesus was miraculous. It was remarkable. Jesus was miraculously conceived, miraculously consecrated, and miraculously called. Miraculously conceived, consecrated, and called. First, Jesus was miraculously conceived. Notice verses 30 through 35. The angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is a true virgin birth. It is a miracle of life implantation by the Holy Spirit in a woman's womb. No man involved. Mary is going to have a son. And she's going to have a son even though she's never been with a man. You will notice that Mary sees the the logistical problem here. In verse 34, she she asks, well, how, how can this be since I am a virgin? She says, in essence, Gabriel... What you're saying is going to happen seems impossible to happen. I don't think she's doubting God's ability here so much as just trying to figure out the logistics. How is this possible? How, how can this happen? I mean, let's face it, usually when it comes to these things, indeed, every time except once, it takes one plus one to equal three. In this case, it takes one to equal two. Mary, just standing there or sitting there with no physical act whatsoever with any man, was suddenly going to be pregnant. Gabriel responds to Mary's question with a note of hope and faith and courage that should ring into every one of our For look at verse 35. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel answers Mary's confusion with crystal clear theology. Here is a a stunning, big, bold statement about the almighty, irresistible, unlimited, unstoppable power of God. Nothing will be impossible with God with God. Nothing is impossible with God. When God Almighty flexes His arms, the galaxies move. When when the power of the highest comes down, anything can happen. When the all-powerful Creator of heaven and earth releases His might, even just a whisper of His might, even just a faint glimpse of His might, anything can happen. Nothing and no one can stop Him. When omnipotence goes into action, the impossible becomes a reality. God can do the impossible. With God... Things that cannot be done are done. And we all need to pause and apply this to our own circumstances in life. We all need this word. 
This is not a word that comes to us that basically is saying, hey, just ask God and he'll do anything for you. God is not a cosmic bellhop. He's not a genie in the sky who just is kind of waiting to just kind of answer to our every whim and our every wish. But we are to learn from this that God can do anything. We are to learn from this that nothing can stay and stop His hand. We are to learn from this that there is nothing in your life or mine that may seem impossible that actually is impossible with God. God can do anything. So, dear brother, thank you for your prayer earlier. Bill, thank you. We, Bill prayed for healing. Bill prayed for my 29-year-long headache. There is nothing impossible with God. The headache could be healed. I could be delivered before this message is done. I could be delivered in the next sentence when God speaks the Word. And He will speak it either in this life or in the one to come. When God speaks the Word, the headache will be gone. God can comfort even our deepest grieving hearts. Can God rescue our children from their sin and their need and their foolishness as we heard earlier? Oh, yes He can. Yes, He can. Can God restore our families? Yes, He can. Can God preserve our unity as a church and, and love across the lines that divide? Can God give us understanding and grace and love that lasts? Can God give us uh, bonds of fellowship that forge into an unbreakable bond of love with one another, no matter our color, no matter our circumstances. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Can God save hundreds and thousands of people in Drexel Hill and Havertown and Lansdowne and Upper Darby? Yes, He can. Through this little church? Yes, He can. Can God heal our marriages? Can God break our addictions? Can God rescue the lost? Can God heal our mental illness? Yes, He can. With God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Gabriel takes that glorious, profound theological truth and applies it gently to Mary's heart. It says, Mary, in your confusion, remember who God is. Mary, as you face what seems to be impossible, know that you have a Creator God who can do anything He desires to do. Nothing will be impossible with Him. It's interesting, as a side note here, that there are a lot of people, when they hear about the virgin birth of Christ, they mock the idea. They scorn it. They, they say, that's, that's crazy. That's stupid. That's, that's not possible. Only foolish, superstitious, primitive people would believe in such a thing. And, you know, I'll grant it. It's a pretty big miracle. Yeah, it ranks pretty high. Uh, and it is impossible if there is no God. But then the whole universe is impossible if there is no God. 
That's, that's what's kind of interesting. It fascinates me when it comes to people who doubt and deny that a baby could be born without a father. Those people very, very often are the very same people who assert that the universe was born without a creator. And I think it's ironic. They believe that somewhere in the distant past, a bang just happened, and out of nothing, and out of, without any guiding hand, without any creator God, without any cause, the universe just came into being. I don't know about you, but I find that a lot harder to believe than the virgin birth. And yet, that does show how people's hearts will suppress truth, deny truth, so that they don't have to bow before or face a Creator. But we who know God for who He is have found out that He is one we want to bow before. He is one we want to love and He is one we want to trust because He is a God who can do the impossible. He's a God who, who can actually place a little embryo in a virgin's womb and give it life and have that little embryo, that little teeny tiny human baby miraculously conceived grow up into a man the God-man, Jesus. He was miraculously conceived. He was miraculously consecrated. Look at verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. Holy. This child born of Mary's womb, would be holy. Now, this is different than every other child born. Remember what King David said way back a thousand years before this? He said, I was shaped in iniquity. I was conceived in sin. But here's, here's one who is not conceived in sin. Here, here is one who is born holy. Here is one who doesn't have Adam's sin nature given to him. Here is one who is not condemned in Adam like all the rest of us are. Here is one who is especially holy, consecrated, set apart from sin and for God. Here is one who from the first moment of conception was blameless and innocent, and holy, and sinless. And you know why? So that He could be a blameless, holy, sinless sacrifice for our sins. He was consecrated so that inside of Mary's womb, oh, try to, try to envision this if you can, inside of Mary's womb, the eternal Son of God took on humanity. Inside of her womb, there was this little embryo of the one and only true God-child ever. Conceived by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, who then is sustained in His human existence by, by Mary and Mary's womb. And this, this little, tiny, 
almost certainly dark-skinned body drew nourishment and developed little tiny arms and little tiny legs and hands and feet and blood vessels and skin, all of which would some 30 years later be pierced and beaten and crucified and killed as a sacrifice for us. The body that would be given in atoning death was conceived in Mary's womb, infused with full humanity, yet without sin. He is miraculously conceived, miraculously consecrated, and third, miraculously called. Verses 31 and 32, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a miraculous calling. He is, he is called to be a Savior and a King. His name will be Jesus. Matthew's account adds the words, why? For he will, finish it, save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. He is called to be Savior. He, he came to earth to offer himself, his sinless spirit, his sinless body on the cross as an atonement for our sin to take away the sin of the world. Called to be a Savior and called to be King. He shall be called the Son of the Most High God. He, God is Most High. God is on the throne of the universe. God sits enthroned above all things and He is the Son of the Most High. And, and God is going to give to Him the throne of His father David. David thousand years before had been promised that a descendant of his would sit on the throne, that the kingdom of God would go on forever and ever through one of his sons. And now the angel saying, this one in your womb, Mary, this is the one that was promised. He is, he is the king. He is the son of God and he is the son of David. He is son of God, son of man, son of God, son of Mary. He is heir to the throne of God. He will rule. Notice it says in verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel is echoing the prophecy of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it 
and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That promise was made 700 years before Jesus was born. And on this night, when Gabriel, who Matthew tells us, had stood in the presence of God, came to Mary, clearly sent directly by God to Mary, when Gabriel appears to Mary, he says, this is now fulfilled. The King has come. The King has come. He has a miraculous calling to be Savior and King. It is to Him that the Lord God has given the throne of His father David. It is to Him, or of Him and by Him, that He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. It is of His kingdom of righteousness, justice, and truth that there will be no end. So He is miraculously conceived, miraculously consecrated, and miraculously called. So let me go back to where I started. If you need a mediator between you and God, if you need a priest to sympathize with your humanity, if you need a king to vanquish all evil, and if you need a future in which to hope, then you need the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you, do you, as a human being, need a mediator between you and God? Any of you in this room, so bold, so brash as to say, eh, I think I can get into God's presence on my own. Let me just kind of walk into the presence of the God who is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And let me just kind of walk up and say, hey, how you doing? Not happening. Do you need a mediator? Do you need somebody to stand between you and God? Even you just as a creature, just as a human creature, never mind the sinful part of it. Who are we to stand in the presence of God? Who are we in ourselves to meet up with God and, and not be consumed? Our God is a consuming fire. We need a mediator. We, we need somebody to stand between us and God. We need somebody to intercede for us. We need somebody perfectly suited for that role. And who is better suited to be a mediator between God and man than a person who is both God and man. Isn't it astonishing? This is, this is the purpose of God. God knows we need a mediator. God knows we can't stand in His presence on our own. And so God has come to us and met us in our humanity so that the God-man brings us into the presence of God. There is a one God Paul writes, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so God came here to earth so that we might go to heaven to be with Him. God and man joined together in one so that God and all who believe could be joined together forever. 
Do you need a mediator between you and God? Yes, you do. So you need the God-mad. You need this one who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Do you need a priest to sympathize with your humanity? Do you need a perfect priest? Someone who knows exactly what you're thinking and feeling and experiencing? Do you need someone to go to who gets it, who understands, who sympathizes? Well, who better to go to than God who was one of us? God who has actually been in the battle with us. God who actually came here to earth. God who was actually human, fully flesh and blood, and was tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. Who better to have as a priest than the one who was conceived of the Virgin, of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, someone who had real flesh and blood. Hebrews 2 and 4 talk about this wonderfully. Since therefore... The children, that's us, since we share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Therefore He had to be made like His brothers. That's like you and me. He had to be made like us in every respect. Why? Why did He have to be made like us? So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for our sins because He Himself suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace to help in time of need. You see what the New Testament does? What God says to us through the apostles? Says, I sent my Son to become one of you. One with you. So that He could know in experience. An actual felt experience. He could know exactly what you're going through. He could know your temptations. He could know your trials. He could know your sorrows. He could know your weaknesses. And He sympathizes with that. So He knows exactly what you need when you need it. And you can go to this high priest. Oh, we need to have the God-man. Christ Jesus. And do you need a king to vanquish all evil? We have such a king. In Jesus of Nazareth, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We have one in the Son of the Most High God, the Son of David, who will reign as God and man forever and ever, whose kingdom will have no end. We need this Word. 
in this generation, in this moment, as the Putins and Trumps and Obamas and Clintons and ISIS terrorists and Kim Jong-uns of this world all vie for power, all manifesting various levels of corruption and sin, we need to know that Jesus shall reign. Until every enemy has made his footstool. We need to know that this world of evil, this world of injustice, this world of massacres, this world of malice, this world of racism and prejudice, we need to know that it's going to come to an end. We need to know that King Jesus is on the throne. We need to know that He is our King and that He is the God-man on the throne, that He is God on the throne, but He is also man on the throne, representing us and ruling for us and in our behalf. We need to know that He's going to reign in righteousness and justice and fairness. We need to know that He's going to share the power with us. We're going to reign with Him. We need to know that justice is going to be done and righteousness is going to reign and peace is going to prevail. We need to know. We need to know it. This announcement by the angel Gabriel declares to us, Jesus shall reign. And He will reign as the God-man. He will reign as God. He will reign as man. And we will reign with Him. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and the wonders of His love. Do you need a king? Do you need a king to vanquish all evil, injustice, oppression, and evil power? Yes, you do, and so do I. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, and bring it in, and bring it on for that final, eternal day. And lastly, do you need a future in which to hope? I do. I do. We all do. Jesus was made like us to lead us, Hebrews says, into glory. The day is coming when the God-man, Jesus, is going to glorify us with Him. In one sense, it's already taken place as He sits upon the throne of heaven. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? He has raised us up with Christ and has, past tense, already seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus is on the throne 
Luke 1 is already fulfilled in that sense. He is on the throne and in Christ he represents us. He is our head. He is our representative in the sight of God and in the universe. In him we are already seated in the heavenly places in Christ. We are already on the throne and we shall reign with him forever and ever. That's a future in which to hope. That is something to look forward to, don't you think? As something to anticipate. Do you need a future, a better future than your present? Does your spirit need a better future? Mine does. I can't wait for the day when I sin no more. I can't wait for the day when I see Him and I am made like Him. I can't wait for the day when there's no more temptation, no more self, no more anger, no more pride, no more impurity, no more junk. I will be clean and never to be dirty again. There's a future worth aiming for. We will be like Christ, the God-man, the blameless one, the one who is miraculously consecrated. We will in Him be miraculously consecrated forever and ever. And does, does your body need a better future? I heard those amens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. One of the beautiful things about the incarnation is what it says about the body. It's amazing. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Hinduism and Buddhism, they really don't even believe in the body. It's an illusion, and it needs to be escaped Islam hates, calls blasphemy, the idea that God would inhabit a body. Christianity comes along and says a few things. God made bodies, so they must be good. God made food and invented eating and drinking and pleasure, so these things must be good. And on top of all of that, God the Son has a body. Which says something about bodies. They are destined for glory. That's the future we all need. Because just had a birthday. Pushing that big 6-0. It's coming. It's coming. I'm hearing wisecracks. I'm just not sure what they're saying. <laughs> but it's, it's coming. It's coming. Galen and I were talking this morning, I think it was, about both of us were experiencing hearing loss. It's happening. Ah, there's a better future. There's a better future. There's a day coming when, in the words of Philippians 3, we await a Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. We are going to shine like Jesus shines. We're going to live immortal beings. We are going to be imperishable, incorruptible. We're going to be 
creatures of splendor and might and power. We're going to have bodies like Jesus' body. That body that was conceived in Mary's womb, grew up into manhood, suffered, bled, and died, but then rose from the dead. That body ascended up into glory. That body sits on a throne in heaven. That body is coming back for us. And when He comes back for us, He's going to transform our bodies to be like His body, and then we'll enjoy it forever. We will enjoy it forever. That all goes back to Christmas. That all goes back to we believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in Christ Jesus His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. David's Son and David's Lord. True God and true man in one person in one body forever. God in a body incarnate for you and for me. If you need a mediator between you and God, if you need a priest to sympathize with your humanity, if you need a king to vanquish all evil, And if you need a future in which to hope, then you need the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, we have walked on holy ground in these past few minutes. We have considered things that are too mysterious and marvelous for words, and yet they are true. My prayer is, Lord, that you will have pulled back the veil just a little bit, pulled back the curtain just a little bit, and enabled your children to look through the window and to see something of the majesty of your purpose, your plan, your love. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Oh, exalted God and exalted man, God-man, Son of David, Son of God, we worship you. And adore you. And Father, as we leave this place this afternoon, may we leave entranced with the wonder of it all. May we leave in awe, in praise. And may we leave to experience 
more and more of this One who is mediator, priest, king, and hope for all Your children. Father, would You please go with us, watch over us, keep us, protect us, shield us with Your love, dazzle us with Your glory. This week I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dear ones,